Yo, Chuck, run up power move on them. something to you to give you a true knowledge of yourself and life so that the same glory and success attained by other men who understand themselves may be yours. Man in the full knowledge of himself is a superb and supreme creature of creation. When man becomes possessor of the knowledge of himself, he becomes master of his environment, the captain of his own ship, the director of his own destiny, the accomplisher of his own ends. So, you know, without further ado, I think the topic is pretty clear. I want to thank all of you for joining us tonight. And to be honest with you, in 2006, I actually hosted a similar event at Brown Memorial Baptist Church. And that night we got 100 people out, but it wasn't anything I did. It was in response to the shooting of Sean Bell. Mm. That's what did it. In fact, New York One, if you, if you Google it, still has the story up from that evening. About 100 people came out, some of the elected officials, and you could really hear the anger in the uh, audience. And so this year, you know, I was thinking what to do around the police, and I had an interesting meeting with Commissioner O'Neill sometime around July. And he began to talk about neighborhood policing. And he started talking about how his goal is really to increase police community relations. And then he started talking about how policing has changed over the decades. We now have body cameras. Obviously, last week, the city council passed the Right to Know Act. We have a revised marijuana and um, stop and frisk policy. But the bottom line is that people get stopped every day. Yeah. Especially young people. And they don't know what to do. And so I really want to thank um, our panel that's here tonight. Give it up for all of them. <laughs> and uh, Ken Montgomery in particular because he sort of gave me this idea and I kind of hesitated. Oh, I, don't know, I don't know that I want to do another one of those. But he mm. said, no, you, you should. And then very interestingly enough, I was talking to a district manager and he said, um, why would you host a meeting like that? Has anything happened? Mm. So I said, well, does something need to happen before we host a meeting like that? So wow. it's just to show you um, what's out there. But I'm going to, you know, just get straight to the conversation, let them all introduce themselves, and um, we'll just jump right in. So um, whoever wants to go first, good, take five good minutes. Good evening, everyone. My name is Kenneth Montgomery. Um, the mic's on if you want to use it. I don't know. I, um, you know what's interesting? I grew up in Brooklyn. I went to school in Brownsville, and most of my academic career as a kid was in Brownsville. Most of my academic career growing up was in Brownsville, Brooklyn. But this neighborhood is very special to me because my godparents, Mary Can, and a guy by the name of Joseph Can, known as Bunky, lived at 395, which is right down the, the block. So I, this neighborhood is always very special to me. But um, I essentially started my legal career out as a prosecutor in the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office. Um, I ended up leaving the DA's office while I was in what they call the gang unit, where we prosecuted gang uh, members or alleged gang members. Um, after that, I started my own practice, and it's been exclusively, uh, for the most part, criminal defense, state and federal, um, civil rights. I've actually tried cases. I've represented families of individuals killed by police officers or beaten by police officers. Um, and I have a lot of perspective about it. I think that's... Good evening. My name is Stephen Lynch. 
I'm also a criminal defense. Can't hear me? Thank you. Um, my name is Stephen Lynch. Uh, I like to consider myself a anti-government lawyer. Um, most of my work is criminal defense work. I also do civil rights work. Um, I started working at Legal Aid. I was a public defender. Um, it's probably the best job I've ever had. I enjoyed it very much, but I didn't pay for daycare. So, I'm going to definitely pass the mic to uh, My name is uh, uh, Tony Rico, and um, I never used to come to Brooklyn when I was a kid. I grew up uptown in Harlem. Uh, 1974, I went to college on a Malcolm X scholarship. Finished. Uh, went to law school, um, graduated from law school, and started my le legal career with the great Bruce McMarion Wright that the New York City Police Department hated. And if you're under 40, if you're over 45, you know he was known as Turner Loose Bruce. So I started my career with him. I finished working with Judge Wright. Uh, a very few people would hire a young black kid from Harlem uh, who had worked with such a distinguished African American judge. Um, I've started in private practice at the recommendation of Judge Wright, and 37 years later, I am still involved in now primarily uh, death penalty work. I've represented, and most of my work is criminal work, I've represented people who have killed cops, and I've represented cops who have killed people. Um, I, was, I represented one of the cops on the Sean Bell case. Um, and I primarily do death penalty work. I represent people on death row, um, mostly our people. And I'm here to answer any questions you have with respect to what to do when you stop by a police officer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have your phone me. <laughs> Give it up for the panel. So the format is very simple. We really want to hear from the audience. And Ken's right. I mean, the, the fact is we know that people come out not simply to um, observe, but obviously you want information. So I'm going to start off with a few questions, and then the rest is just the audience. So I guess as I'm standing here asking questions, you should you know, start thinking of questions you, you may want to ask. So the first question is very simple. We can go in any order. You know, for a long time, New York City engaged in stop, the practice of stop and frisk, mm -hmm. right? And um, the fact of the matter is that as a result, I think of racial profiling, lawsuits, and what was declared, I think, by a judge as unconstitutional, obviously, uh, New York City had to sort of rethink Policy. And it's fair to say that our current mayor rode the wave of um, he was going to end stop and frisk. And then there were a couple of candidates at the time who said, don't end it, amend it. So what is the standard? Uh, I think the standard is, is branding and it's marketing. Um, I think they're paying attention to, you know, it's politics. So they're paying attention to what the community wave is. But essentially, stop and frisk will never stop. I mean, it's, it, you know, I, I say this all the time and I don't, I, I don't mean to sound crude, but if you want arrest, you go to black and brown neighborhoods. Um, and the new policy, I believe the new policy is neighborhood policing. Yes, it was implemented um, in 2015. I think neighborhood policing was implemented to um, combat the negativity that stop and frisk had brought to NYPD. Um, and I think, you know, when you think about neighborhood policing, what does that mean? Does it mean more police officers? Does it mean police still having 
the ability to do what they want? Because what is the issue that the community have? It seems to be the issues that the community have is that the police have no accountability. So is neighborhood policing going to bring more police accountability? Um, is, uh, you know, we, you got to understand we're in court almost every day. And when we're not in court, we are in federal prison, state prison. When we're not in federal or state prison, we're not just in court making appearances. We're actually trying cases. We're actually cross-examining police officers. We're actually looking at their grand jury testimony. We're actually looking at their paperwork. This is something that won't change, and it's how they push it to you guys, the community, in my opinion. Just before we move on to our next question, you, know, you can't talk about the police without the police showing up, right? Oh, that's all right. <laughs> True. So give it up for Detective Sergeant. She's here. Give it up for her. Let me tell you, she holds a special place in my heart. She knew me when I was a kid. She has pictures. So you see her. Uh, she's from the 80s. She's one of the good girls. She really is. Good, good lady, and our seniors love her. So it's good to see you, Detective. Okay. Well, before uh, I came here tonight, I, I went on the ACLU website and I, I printed um, the basic know your rights thing. But I think that, from my opinion, we're sort of looking at this from the wrong direction. We're looking at it from the direction of us looking um, and trying to respond to the police. But I, I think it's more important to look at what this apparatus is and what it does. You know, yes, statistically speaking, um, there are less stop and frisks at this point in the city, but I don't think that's really addressing um, the function of police as we have it today and what they're doing. Um, we have, we're at this point in the city where there are more police officers. I'm not talking about just on the street everywhere. I'm talking about police officers in schools than there are social workers. And I think that it's very important not just to look at what we do in individual um, encounters with police, but really have a conversation about what we want police to do and how are we really going to address the problem of, of mass incarceration? Because that's really the end of it. It's not just the beginning of that encounter. It's what the repercussions are, you know, tomorrow, a year, five years down the road. And, and that's to me really the things that we need to start looking at and really making radical changes. In. It's pretty much would, would say the same thing. Um, I'm actually happy that somebody from the police department is here. Uh, the ones that we know and the ones we don't know. Um, because when African-American people get together and talk about their rights, that's not against the police. And nor should any police officer feel that it is. Um, African-American people have the same rights as everybody else. And educating people about their rights should be something that the police department would favor. So. This conversation is a good one. I, I think it, it would be helpful to, to hear from, from people. I, and I would have to tell everyone this. Stop and frisk was not declared illegal in New York. Stop and frisk never ended in New York. Let's just be clear. Stop and frisk comes from a 1968 Supreme Court case called Terry versus Ohio. Terry versus Ohio has never been overruled. What New York City was doing was racial stop and frisk. And they take the racial word off to put you to sleep, to make you think that there's a lawful procedure going on. And what Judge Shinlin did in her decision, she said you can no longer have racial based stop and frisk. 
So supposedly racial base stop and frisk ended. But when Donald Trump says we need to bring back stop and frisk, stop and frisk never left. What he's saying is we need to bring back racial stop and frisk. And so we should all know very clearly any any law in this country that is has race as a precondition to the exercise of that right is unlawful. So the racial stop and frisk policy in New York, unlawful. And so from there, we could talk about what stop and frisk really is okay. or and, isn't. And I, and I want to just add to, to that to, to some things that you may or may not remember. Um, you remember to show how powerful the Fraternal Order of Police is from a national perspective. You remember when the last president, 45, who everyone now loves, was in office and you had these shootings that were happening. And right after that, there was an incident that not many people remember. It was by one of his friends, Skip Gates. Skip Gates was racially profiled at his home. At his own house. His own house. And the president started at that time, initially started a conversation about race and policing. And what happened? Within a week's time, he was sitting in the Oval Office in the garden with the cop who racially profiled his friend, Skip Gates, the head of the fraternal police organization, and having a beer summit. Beer. And they bashed him in the papers, just like Judge Shinlin, a very um, well-respected federal judge, was beaten up in the papers by, at the time, I believe it was, it was definitely Bloomberg, and I don't remember if it was Kelly, with both of them, and they bombarded her. And the community didn't support her at that time. She got chased off the bench. So to, to understand what you're dealing with when you when you even having a discussion about it. Well, the next question is on body cameras. Um, 
you know, there was a lot of debate about uh, whether or not we should embrace body cameras in the city of New York, the New York City Police Department. And finally, I think we're on a trial level. We're still on a trial level. There was a malfunction the other day with a body camera, and so I think they've sort of, uh, you know, withdrawn, I think, a lot of them or all of them. So your positions on body cameras and how it relates to police encounters. Has nothing to do with it and will not stop the excessive use of force against people of color. Why? Eric Garner was strangled to death on video. Um, the young kid in Chicago was shot dead on video, but that cop was convicted. Uh, that was two weeks ago. Philando Castillo. Philando Castillo was shot in his car with the camera on, cop not charged. So the idea that there's a quick fix to racism is a misnomer. So you want to put a body camera on a, on a police officer, fine. Uh, it will be turned off. You will be told it doesn't record everything. Uh, and ultimately, the people who sit on the jury, which should be us, but oftentimes isn't because we're excluded from juries mm -hmm. because of our race. We have Batson versus Kentucky. And those who sit in the grand jury who ultimately vote, even with the body cam, the issue as to why this is allowed to exist is because it's an issue of force against a community of color. So body cams is a wonderful idea. Um, it's in the tens of millions of dollars that the police department is going to spend on them. You don't make them, you don't sell them. So this community is not going to get any of that money. Um, and they will have body cams on and you will get shot on video. <laughs> yeah, because I think with, with Tony, uh, says is absolutely right and when you think about think about what happens when someone gets shot what is the inquiry what do we talk about was it justified no matter what the circumstances are whether it's a video or not um so i think you know that that's good um pr um it it it, it makes certain members of the community feel like things are being done but for me um excessive force by police um violence by police it's just the tip of the iceberg of what we really should be talking about, which is um, the alienation of a group of people historically, um, socially, politically, economically, and all those other things. So the police action and, and state-sponsored police violence, that's a very tip of the iceberg. Um, that is almost like what we call a red herring in college. That's not salmon. That, you know, you're looking for salmon, that's a red herring. And, and I, I get it but it's not stopping anything. My concern is that, number one, it's not gonna change, as panelists have said, fundamentally what the police are doing um, and where they're focusing their attention, but also um, they are very much gonna be aware of how the video will look at the time. And when you see these videos and you see police officers when they're on the videos and they say, I'm live, um, they're telling the other officers around, this is being recorded. And, and they will adapt to this, and I don't think it will change. So I, it might be helpful in some scenarios, but it's not going to cure the problems that we face right now. And, and, and also, we're in a new age. Um, in modernity, we've never had the ability to control 
as far as social control. Everybody probably, at, at least somebody in here, my mother's 76 years old. She's on Facebook and Instagram. Um, but I say that to say, no, I say that to say that we are in a technology-based, powerful time in society. So policing is changing right before our eyes. The Manhattan DA's office started an initiative some years ago where they were focusing on certain communities and they were policing differently. They were getting information from different sources. So, you know, the way they police now, um, it's, it's, it's very purposive as it always was. Um, and what's happening in the courts when we're talking about presumption of innocence in the criminal setting, when we're talking about what's happening in the civil side, me and Steve tried these civil cases. And many of these civil cases, you have injuries, you have bruises, you may even have a video camera. But what's happening, the city are, is not settling certain cases unless they talk to who? The police department. So it's, it's a lot of other issues uh, concerning it, and time is going to tell. So two final questions, and then we're going to kick it to the audience. We're doing good on time. Um, we have a new marijuana policy in the city of New York. In fact, Commissioner O'Neill wrote, wrote an op-ed, uh, I think it was in the Daily News last week, and he wanted everybody to be clear what, about what this policy is about. You can come in. Um, you can join us. There's seats here. And... Um, you know, some of the background to the information, to the, to the policy is that um, sort of to avoid uh, negative encounters with particularly young black and Latino men. And that's why this policy was being adapted, that these are really misdemeanors um, and that we should not be um, clogging the courts with these cases, right? So, uh, you know, I want to hear your ideas, your, your thoughts are rather on the marijuana policy. <laughs> Exactly what it is and, and your thoughts. Um, speak up, Steve. I, I will say first that we, we are 50 years into a catastrophic failure of the drug war. And I, it's nice to see, um, but it is a, a very small drop in a very big bucket. Uh, I think that at the, at the core service of the police, is that's who you call when you're in danger. And those are the people who are supposed to come and defend you. Um, even though you might be surprised to find that you have no constitutional um, right to have the police protect you from other uh, people who are committing crimes against you. That's the, the most basic part. And it, it's a noble um, it's a noble action to come in and put yourself in danger and protect people. Um, but we're so far away from that in terms of what the police actually do today. And I think that whatever your feelings are about drugs at their core, it's a health problem. And, and I think that if there's one thing that we could possibly agree on so that we don't have, you know, when I stopped looking at the ACLU stuff and I started looking at the mass incarceration statistics where we have um, for black men, 4,300 out of every 100,000 incarcerated, I think that is the one thing that hopefully there will be some broad political support for is ending the drug war. So it's great to see it's a step in the right direction, but it, it's a very small step for where we need to be in my life. I'm very happy to be here. I really am. Because what the people here should know is that our community has produced young people who are in the system and are good and they know the system. But we don't get a chance to interact with the community unless you got a son or something on death row or there's something bad going on. 
Like somebody said you when something's wrong. Spending more than three decades in this system, coming from the kind of background that I came from, you gain an insight into what these people are doing. Dr. King called it the law of unintended consequences. Now check this out. They say, let's legalize marijuana because that's going to help us with our encounters with young black and Latino males. For somebody to say that to you when you're a grown-up, that's an insult and a slap in your face. First of all, I have a grandson. If my kid is walking down the street smoking a marijuana cigarette, I expect my kid to be stopped. Don't tell me you're going to allow my kid to walk down the street smoking marijuana because they feel like, because you're concerned that if you have an encounter with my kid, my kid may end up dead. That's ridiculous. It is putting the emphasis in the wrong place. If you want to change the marijuana laws because you want to change the harshness of the drug laws, and that is a valid goal, don't slip that up under us saying that you're doing that so that you can change the dynamics between the police and young African-American men. The two are ridiculous. Young people who are shot in these streets are not shot because of marijuana. They are shot because of racism. And when we allow people to say things like that, that, well, if you ease the marijuana enforcement, therefore you won't have as many encounters with black and Latino kids, you'll see a reduction in the amount of deaths that happen. There's no connection at all between the two. And people should understand that, that that's a word game that's being played on us. And we have to be careful about that and understand exactly what it is that we're agreeing to. Both of these guys are two of my favorite people. So I agree wholeheartedly. And I think what you got to also look at is what's going on from a business standpoint with marijuana as well. Um, you know, there, there, there is, you know, Steve, Steve just said it. The drug war is a failure. Um, me and Tony spent a lot of time crafting narratives and sentencing memorandums, trying to convince federal judges not to send young black and brown men to prison for decades, decades on drugs, no violence. So when you start looking at what's going on from the business standpoint and the decriminalization, um, it really you really begin to understand what's happening concerning that, you know, because, listen, I have friends of all different races. Do we really think that white young men and women don't do drugs or smoke weed or smoke weed or smoke weed? Like, do we really think that? No. Do we think that if you go to Williamsburg right now and under stop and frisk or broken windows and you decide to stop every five out of seven white males, you're not going to find marijuana, Adderall, cocaine? But no, that doesn't happen because the community doesn't allow that to happen because that's not the American narrative. The American narrative is that these young men of color are the problem. And then. This is a good segue because um, certainly give them a round of applause. Um, actually, the very building we're in, and I want to thank Fran, who's here uh, from Teen Challenge. They give us the space, you know, next to nothing. 
And um, I don't know if a lot of you know what they do here, but uh, this is a drug withdrawal uh, program, but they do it the spiritual way. So I really want to thank you for lending us the space and all that you do for the community. So certainly give it up for Team Challenge. Yeah, they've been here for years. Yeah. They've, they've done it for years. And, um, 60 years. Yep. Wow. And yep. um, they have... 1,600 centers worldwide. Yes. Wow. wow. And they live on campus, so they live right around here. So thank you so much. So here's the, here's the final question, the question for the night. Uh, what do you do when you stop by the police? <laughs> how, how do you handle Personally, me? interactions and encounters? I want to hear from all of you, and then we're going to open it up to the audience. I'm, I'm going to give you... Um, I've been stopped by police my entire life. Um, as a child, I remember... Um, I remember being 15 years old, being in a train station at 59th Street, and um, something happened on the train. The police officers grabbed me, pulled me off the train, ripped my shirt. Um, they were playing clothes. I always was willing to speak up for myself. So I said, yo, I want to see your badge number. It's my right. What's your badge number? One of the officers, they, they tucking them in, and one of the officers says, yeah, it's just like it's just like your right to carry guns and sell drugs. I was 15. I had sold no drugs. I carried no guns. And that was that interaction at 15. What about the recent one? I did some recent. Yep. Fast forward and college driving up and down 13 and 95. Me and Phil, when we both went to Hampton University. Holidays, your mother give you that cake and sweet potato pie and all this food. She pack you up with to go. You driving down that highway, you get pulled over. Cop is like, yo, what's, you mind if we search the car? But the dogs and you sitting on a highway, 18 years old, in college, doing the right thing. And that cop unwraps every single bit of food that your mother packed for you, looking for something. Um, law school. Uh, something happened on the street. We waved down the police. Me and my god brother, Babatu Sparrow, his mother is in the back. The police drive up. We're telling them what happened. The police officer out of nowhere grabs my jacket and shakes it because he thinks I'm black. I must have a gun. As a prosecutor, um, a district attorney, the person charged with prosecuting people. I'm in court. Judge Rocker and come up to the bench, tells me no defendants at the bench. He thought I was a defendant with my suit on. Who he had saw seven cases prior to that. I come into the well, not just him, the white judge, black and Hispanic police officers or court officers think I'm a defendant. Um, driving, when I lived, uh, we lived in the Melrose, the black Melrose building on Gates and Washington, me and Phil. One night I worked, I worked night shifts as a DA. Um, come home late, driving my, my girlfriend, now my wife at the time, car. I'm a prosecutor, police officer. This is some of the tricks they use. He pulls up so close to me that I can't open my door. And they both pull their windows down and they point their gun at me. I'm a DA. Me with my oldest son, who was a child at the time, right over here near LG when we lived on Lafayette. Me and my son coming home, cops pull up, roll up, guns drawn, point guns at me and my son, who was maybe three years old, sitting in the back of the car at the time. Last year, last summer, prior to our uh, mentoring program that we run in Brownsville, me and my three children in the car on Flatbush, cops pull us over, 
pull out guns, bring me out to the back of the car. My 10 year old daughter is crying. My 14 year old son is telling her, Jay, be quiet. They're not going to kill daddy. She thinks they're going to tase me. So I'm not, I don't need anyone to explain to me about how to handle police interactions. But the question for what the I do, what I do is I look them in the eye and I speak with my humanity. That's, that's a personal thing that I do. Um, but you have to come with intelligence and you have to be aware of your circumstances and your rights. You have a right to remain silent. You have a right to ask why you're being stopped. You have a right to say, no, you're not searching me or my car. And you have to be firm in that right. Yeah. To be honest with you guys, every time um, I've been stopped by the police, you guys speak up. every time I've been stopped by the police, I deserved it. Um, I think that's the difference for the whole conversation. Um, in terms of how you deal with it, I think that from an, as an attorney, my thought, my, my, my thought that I'd like to share with you is understand that that encounter is designed to get evidence to use against you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think if, if, if you take that home and you realize that for the most part, I guess I don't see the people who talk their way out of the situation. There's really a not a lot to be said. Right. Um, and, and I would leave it at that. What do you do when you stop by a uh, New York police officer, any police officer? Pray. <laughs> First thing you do is connect with God. Because if you are stopped by a person who is prepared to shoot you or hurt you, they're going to do it. You're not going to out-talk your way out of racism. If we could do that, there would be nothing. So what do you do? Well, Ken pretty much said it. You got to look people in the face and say, how can I help you? You got to know your rights. I'm talking about the adults that's here. And you have to be firm that our ancestors, grandparents, all got their teeth kicked in, lost their farms, were beaten and abused for the rights that we have. So when I'm, I'm stopped also, going on and on and on, and I'm like, how can I help you? And I pull out my ID, and they see that ID, and all of a sudden, it's a game changer. However, I have friends who are New York City police officers who have been off the job. I mean, not working. They've been stopped and roughed up um, when they identify themselves as police officers. So it's a very dangerous encounter. Um, it is one that you need to recognize that people of color have lost their lives. Children, elders, old men running down the street. People standing up with their hands up on video. So you're dealing with a very dangerous encounter. It's like any other dangerous encounter that we have living in the city here. So let me tell you what I'm concerned about, what I see. And these videos are online. There's a young, there's a young, young man here. He looks like he's under 10. And what I'm troubled by is when I see New York, I see police officers putting cuffs on children the age of this boy sitting here. And I look at their faces and see the terror and fear that's in those children's faces. And we live in a society that allows that to happen. And for the adults in here, we let it happen. Because there are no other children that you see in cuffs 
other than ours. Now, there's a recent case of the 14-year-old girl who's being whooped, beat up by some cop, cuffed on the ground. So what does the young girl do in this situation when she's being beat up, stomped, and kicked, cuffed on the ground? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, what's happening to her is outside of her control. Just like any situation we have living in this city. You know, when I was a kid, my father used to tell me, son, you got to be cool. You got to know where you are, know who you're talking to, and know who you're dealing with, and they need to know who you are and, who you, and what you're about. And so you got to be firm, but you got to understand on the street, that's their game. And they can turn that game on you in a second. And even if you have six of us in this room as witnesses, they know that when they get to the grand jury, the grand jury's not gonna believe you, 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 or you. And so they understand that dynamic. So it is a dangerous situation. So what I would tell you is, just like any other dangerous situation that you would find yourself in in life, be careful. You know, Malcolm used to say, if you know it's gonna rain, take your raincoat. <laughs> so be prepared. Have your ID. Let them ask questions. You know, don't, you know, let them find out what they want and then answer the questions. And then let them be firm and let them know you're about something. You change the narrative. As for the children that's here. Pray. Pray. And get smart. Now, one of the last point on this. I've represented New York City police officers who flaked. Plate, that is, place drugs on people who committed no crime. Uh, that, those, case, those cases were tried right here. And these officers were police officers who were going to a club and pick you, you, and you, and put drugs on you. And they did it for years. And so they got caught. They decided they were going to be judge, jury, and execution. The sad thing is three out of five of those people who were flaked pled guilty. To crimes they never committed. So what do you do when you have an encounter with people who would flake you with drugs? Pray. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm gonna tell you that it's it's a it's a culture that exists. You know, we have to understand society, at least American society, we don't like to think about it. The presumption of innocence almost doesn't exist for young black men and brown men. It doesn't. Doesn't exist. We have a shot when you have a skilled attorney and an intelligent attorney, and he's able to go into state court or talk to, talk to jurors and get an outcome that's not likely to happen. There's, there's a percentage of us who can do that, but for the most part, the presumption of innocence, when it's dealing with them, it doesn't exist. So those police encounters, um, you're dealing with the weight of the law. And it's unfortunate, I was a district attorney. When that case gets to the district attorney's office, there's an energy to put that case through. Why? There's a symbiotic relationship. There's a close relationship between law enforcement, the police, and the district attorney's office. And you have to be cognizant of that. So recording what happened to you first in your mind, 
and you got to write it down. If you got to turn on your audio, mm-hmm. you got to do all those things because the law, when you get to the district attorney's office, they're going to be looking to kick that case. When you look at most of these police shootings and everybody's all upset, oh, it, it got kicked out. It got no true bill, which means the grand jury didn't indict. It's because when the district attorney gets a case and there's some allegations of police misconduct, they all of a sudden turn into defense attorneys. And they take that case into the grand jury. And I was a prosecutor. I got instructions from supervisors. Yo, get this case blown out. They know how to get a case blown out of the grand jury. And that's what you're dealing with. So, you know. Give it up for the panel. Up in the Jill and the Snatch Bar 1998 Labor Day Shopping Center in Pathmark Okay, I guess the feeling is back, huh? I threw it all the way, Bob Dylan Who the villains of trap blood? Niggas been calling me slime since 99 Fuck a vine When Sloopy Killer thought you wasn't lying I make a movie, spend a fortune on the side Just had my cousin Buki high Run up on your car, lick off a shot It's for my niggas with no bond That wanna see a nigga like me Pull up for the feeling, we'll blind I aim to please the bow made James was the shoes were chic, the fuck you mean? The rebel with the fashion on Z, zigzag zig, forever with the magnum on me. Yeah, floor seats. Yo, my shit is like, my shit is like magic marker to a crayon. Like, you know what I'm saying? When I, you know what I mean? When I put my, you know what I'm saying? And then I turn that shit, you know what I mean? Into that, and then you come back, you know what I got now. You know what I'm saying? You take a negative and a positive charge to start a whip. Pour the print, swing machetes at y'all and carve a niche Water whip, get the fatty garage, you brawl with it Duck, I'm on shit, you on the list But up the story thus far This fucking nigga shorty in the Audi with the 40 top bra We left the boarded up spa Nigga, you can have the band, throw the block, the store the bus out We rock the Stussy Air Max She let me pop the pussy, my boy She bout to do the fam next We got the Buddha and X Ain't no hot food when we the jewelers with the ruby spandex Antex, you get stretched like leggings The Smith and Wesson like Tetris Speed up your block for speaking reckless Heat up the chops and frickin' see the refuge Breakfast Floor seats You know, the mic is open um, for whoever has a question. Uh, so, you know, you know how this goes, right? People get up to the mic and they, they make all these long statements. You know how that goes, right? Sure, okay. <laughs> sure, sure. So, okay. I just wanted to share really quickly for anybody who wasn't aware of this, because I wasn't until today, that a new law ca- called the Right to Know yes. Act just went into effect on Friday. Yeah. So as of last Friday, you if you're stopped by a police officer, in addition to being able to see their batch number, you um, they're also required to share their full name and their rank, and they must supply you with a business card if you request it. So just putting that out there so you can spread the word. Yeah, I mentioned it early, uh, initially in my remarks, um, and part of the reason I, I mentioned it is because, you know, I know people in the police department as well. In fact, this time last year, Chief Maddie, to his credit, he came and he gave great remarks on, you know, 
interactions with officers and the, uh, and the community. Um, and the truth of the matter is that that piece of legislation actually started out a lot stronger at the city council level. Obviously, there were a number of negotiations. There was a lot of pushback. And um, that was the final result. But all of this has been done by some council members, mm -hmm. obviously from the Progressive Caucus, who have indicated that they want to see better police community relations. But the, the truth of the matter is we can't always legislate mm -hmm. community relations. Mm, that's right. <laughs> and to be honest with you, there are many law enforcement who will tell you, even our friends over there, that they don't always want to be regulated. <laughs> And, it, and that's some of the resistance that you will see. So let me get your quick thoughts on the right to know act and then we're gonna get to your question. Quick thoughts. Um, my quick thought is this a response to stop and frisk. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a response to stop and frisk and it's a, an attempt at transparency. But I think, you know, people have to understand how police interactions really work from a legal perspective and in, and a practical perspective. If you know, if a yeah, with the, the objective, cre credible, reasonable standards. Now, listen. If a police officer thinks you're doing something wrong, that rule of law is out the window. Right, it's out the window. But what I think it is an attempt at letting you know, or it should encourage you to ask questions. You know, the police officers are in your. You know, there's a book I want you to get called "From the War in Poverty to the War in Crime." is by Elizabeth Hinton. And it goes into the history of policing in our neighborhoods and why our neighborhoods were policed and why black males at the time, 15 to 35, were a threat. And how did organizations like the PAL and all these other different things came about. But I also want you to go back to what happened after Jim Crow and what happened with the black codes and why we were criminalized. Why when mental health and poverty, you bring cops. You know, our communities are approached in a different fashion, but you know, we'll see. I want to see how that plays out on my cases when I get to court. Okay. And then I'll tell you. Um, from the war on poverty to the war on crime by Elizabeth Hinton, H-I-N-T-O-N. My thought is, well, obviously we'll see how this works, but given that we have a civilian complaint review board, yeah. um, we have two civil rights lawsuits, um, we have district attorney's offices who are supposed to be, you know, policing the police, so to speak, the police itself. I, I don't really think that business cards are really good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice attempt to deal with a, a, a very serious issue. Um, if a police officer is chasing a homicide suspect and the homicide suspect turns around and says, stop, why are you chasing me? And I want your business card. Well, yeah, yeah. So um, it is, you know, it is, it, it's an attempt to give people the impression that the intrinsic problem that we're talking about changes. And I don't have a problem talking about this. Because when New York City police officers shoot somebody, they call me mm -hmm. and Ken. <laughs> and I don't mean me as an individual. They call lawyers. And so we understand um, what's happening out here. And they understand what's happening out here. The community needs to understand what's happening out here. And then, you know, showing your business card and the rest of that, defines itself. 
All right, so in 2015, you know, this concept of neighborhood policing was, in, was um, brought to New York City. It is the New York City model of neighborhood policing. Commissioner O'Neill um, basically says, and this is public information, that there are two reasons why this was, uh, why this came about. The first, of course, is to lower crime. The second, of course, is to um, improve relationships between, you know, police and community by basically having the community um, sort of, you know, work with the cops to root out who the bad guys are, right? And um, the NYPD really credits uh, the current model of neighborhood policing with bringing down crime and they have what they call a centimeter, uh, where they, they talk to constituents, they give you a random call to see if things are working well in, in the areas of police community relations. I say all of that to say that um, even in spite of the Right to Know Act, uh, you know, this is not necessarily something that we can legislate, that uh, we simply have to have the will to address a lot of the issues around policing. Right. And the truth of the matter is that even neighborhood policing, although you know we have neighborhood coordination officers, we've divided precincts into districts. The last precinct, I think, just got neighborhood policing the other day. What are the 77 precincts across the city of New York? There's still a lot of complaints. And when you go to those meetings that they have, the NCO meetings, a lot of the complaints are quality of life. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily community relations. And then uh, the Civilian Complaint Review Board was mentioned, and that's good. Um, but here's the challenge. The challenge is that with the Civilian Complaint Review Board, um, they really don't have as much teeth as they should. Mm -hmm. And so you can report it, uh, and it's important that all of you go online and see who, who's appointed to the board, um, because the police department obviously has appointees on there, the commissioner can appoint, the mayor appoints, um, and they don't, even though they may make a recommendation, it doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna result in a termination. In fact, I think the commissioner has the final say on what happens at that level. Mm -hmm. Let me also recognize Judith Destin from the Office of Brooklyn District Attorney, Eric Gonzalez. Eric's a good friend and he's been here before, so thank you, and of course to Denise, yes. Good evening, peace and blessings to everyone. Um, I have a question, but I just want to lay out a little statement first. I'm 60 years old. I spent a lot of, every summer growing up in South Carolina, so I saw some real racism. I went to a black college in Alabama where the Klan came up with hoods on horses and, you know, chased us in ditches and made sure Alex Haley didn't come into town because he was promoting his book. And the longer I live, I see things like going around in a circle backwards. Mm -hmm. But I did pick up over the years things that worked. And being aware is fine. Holding up a sign, that's all I saw all my life. But what I picked up was more of us are educated in the law. Mm -hmm. They get, you know, get your law degree, do whatever. But what I don't see is our legal minds maybe getting a group of their own and just finding the things in the law that could help us. The same way I see people will find a loophole to get out of something or to change a law for 
a benefit that don't benefit us. Why can't, as a solution, instead of just being aware and protesting, our legal minds get together and look at what worked. Now, policemen in my day, they were prejudiced, but they didn't use their guns because it was so much red tape if you fired your weapon. <laughs> Make it long where they gotta go back to. Having 50 pages to fill out, so they'll think twice before they pull that trigger because they know they're gonna do a bunch of paperwork, which is why most of them didn't. They retired without ever firing their weapon. So there were some things, even with all the prejudice, that worked. When you make people jobs harder, because nobody likes a bunch of paperwork, they're gonna think twice before they fire the weapon. Today, people could fire a weapon, what's their consequence? To be put on a desk job and get paid? There's no consequence. It don't seem like a consequence. It should be just law. You fire that weapon, you got 50 pages to fill out. You're not gonna shoot or pull out your weapon that often. So to me, that's somewhat of a solution to the problem. Okay. I shouldn't have to speak a certain kind of way to somebody I agree. not to get killed. That's right. They should have a consequence if their mindset is you kill me and you know there's no consequence. And it's not just white cops. I worked for corrections and as a counselor. But we were trained in a lot of things the officers were trained in. And I noticed when I went to these trainings that they're taught certain things and nobody questioned what they were being taught. Mm -hmm. So when you see officers act like, you could say brotherhood or gang, because I see them as both. But when you see them act like that, it's part of the training. We've established that is what it is. But is anybody going to the training, saying anything? When I worked in prison, they referred to Muslims as, all of them, as terrorists, including the, the imams. Nobody questioned that but me. And so when they did training, they put down Aryan nations, you know, for the examples, instead of just using one set of people and giving people who are being trained a mindset that all those guys that were Muslims were some form of a terrorist, but everybody else in there who actually are, they didn't talk about it. Okay. So you think about what's in the forefront of your mind. Yes. So let's give them a chance to respond to your question. At one point in my life, I learned that it's important to listen. Um, when I was a kid, older people used to say, listen. <laughs> um, so I wanted to listen to the woman who spoke and, and remain extremely positive in response. So let's take it apart piece by piece. One, just because you don't know about something doesn't mean it's not happening. So I would say that I recall that after Walter Scott was shot in the back down in South Carolina, a group of 35 African-American and Latino lawyers 
met up at the Schomburg with the express purpose of putting their legal minds together to come up with ways in which to change what's happening. That happens. We don't know about it because nobody tells us, which is why you have to be aware. So for example, y'all don't know, or most of you don't know, that last week the Washington State Supreme Court declared the Washington State death penalty unconstitutional on the grounds that is implemented in a racially biased manner. That litigation came as, as a result of a group of lawyers who put their minds together and said, notwithstanding the Supreme Court decision from 30 years ago, we're going to keep fighting this cause. What we don't have in New York is something that I like to see our city council do, is that in the state of Washington, a set of court rules were established under the Judges Acts, so they didn't have to wait for the legislature, and they set a protocol for how you prevent implicit bias and overt bias from taking place during jury selection. Where did that court rule come from? A group of lawyers, people from the community who got together and used their legal minds to challenge the system. Those people don't get invited to Oprah Winfrey, the Wendy Williams show <laughs> and whatnot because they're not talking nonsense. <laughs> there are people Listen, I used to, we're all, all of us are frustrated. All of us are frustrated. But I would tell you all that there are African-American, Latino, and white lawyers in this country who are putting their minds together to chip away at this system. It is happening. The fact that we don't know about it doesn't mean it's not happening, which is why I'm happy to come here, because most of you would say, well, I don't know a, a kid from 8th Avenue in that Harlem who practiced law for 37 years, still lived three blocks from where he grew up, raised his family right there in the community, and did all those things that we say we want our kids to do, because nobody tells us about that. What they always tell us about is what? What we can't do, not doing, and ain't doing. And this is a false narrative. Secondly, Everybody in this room who's over the age of 45 knows the following name, Clifford Glover. So let's not say back in the day when cops didn't shoot nobody. Clifford Glover got shot and killed right there in Queens, nine years old at the time he was shot in the back by an officer named Shea, who went to trial and was acquitted. And the 911 call had him standing over young Clifford Glover saying, die, little nigga, die. That happened in this city in 1974 when our 60 year old was about, was about 18 years old. Randy Evans shot and killed right here in Elmcourt by Officer Torsney at age 15, sitting on his stoop in 1976. And uh, these events have gone on. So it just becomes important. Now, what do I agree with? I agree with everything the lady said, with the exception of her understanding of things that she doesn't know. People have to speak up. You got to speak up everywhere you are. For every person in this room who's got a job in the police department, they got that job because somewhere along the line, people did what? Spoke up. 
You don't reach the point where you say, oh, well, we spoke up back in the day, so we don't have to speak up no more. That's why we got this man in the White House now. So people, yeah, speak up, get knowledge, and find out. Now, Ken and other lawyers, they're using their legal minds to do what? They're working with kids like these young kids on the weekend, right here in our community. They run a community program where kids come in on the weekend to do, I'll let, well, I'll let him tell you about it. Let's free ourselves of the we ain't doing enough syndrome and begin to recognize, like I know this sister's name we never met before. There, we got some dynamic people out here now and let's not sell ourselves short and let our older people be proud and feel proud that some of the little kids that came out of these communities did exactly what you asked them to do. They went out here and developed careers and became very good at what it is they do. And it's something that we don't have to be ashamed of or be defensive about or be uncomfortable about. It's a fact. And it's a fact that we can embrace. We have Eric Gonzalez, district attorney in this county, Darcel Clark, Bronx County, Darcel Clark grew up right in the projects in the Bronx. She's the Bronx district attorney, good sister, good person, good lawyer, and all the rest of that. These are things we should be proud of. They're not, and, and we should keep what we do on a positive level because that's where we got to where we are today. Do that positive interaction and the sharing of wisdom and information amongst each other. Sorry for being loud. Yeah, and I just want, you know, also to let you know, and Steve can can speak to this. You know, police are given what they call qualified immunity. Um, what does that mean? That means basically they are they they have no liability for things that happen on the job and and, and them conducting their job as police officers. The the legis the legislatures and everyone you know they make sure of this. Um, so, you know, when you, you know, there's a such thing called a 48 hour rule. You know, anyone knows what the 48 hour rule is? You yes. know, you get a crime. Imagine if everyone who was accused of a crime had an opportunity to wait 48 hours. Yeah. Law enforcement are allowed that. Yeah. So you have to be really aware of these things. I personally do not think that young black and brown men getting shot or beaten up is a result I, I don't think if if officers had to fill out more paperwork, that would stop. They just have more people helping them fill out paperwork. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's you can't legislate the heart. The community has to come up with innovative ideas, like she said. Right. And, and, and we'll figure it out from there. I just want to say I, I, my, my perspective is, is not that the activism is lacking. You know, there's a especially among attorneys, a very long, proud tradition of people working um, within the court system to really try to make things better. Um, I, I think that what we have to do and what we're starting to see, which is positive in, in the fact that you guys are all here, is there's starting to be a societal shift in terms of how we, we view these issues. Um, you know, the statistics I was looking at before I, I came here, so there's about 2.2 million people who are incarcerated in this country right now. That's basically Queens, you know? That's an enormous amount of resources that are spent to put people in cages. And I think we really have to look at why we're doing that. And on, on a really basic level, I think you only put people in cages if they're dangerous. And there has to be some 
grasping in terms of why are we doing this and how can we invest better um, in, in our society. Uh, put on probation. There was another officer that, that, that killed the um, uh, 
African uh, person, not Diallo. The, the warehouse in Manhattan. The warehouse. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, he, mom, got yeah. <clears throat> he got convicted. He got probation. See, and this is what happens. And, and, and as the lawyer spoke earlier about in the sense that you have to be involved in the in your community service. Mm-hmm. Yes. You have to go. Well, a lot of us, I know, when we, when we get called for jury duty, we try to get, <laughs> get out. out. Yeah, that's we right. got all the reasons in the world. That's right. Right? Let me tell you something. I was a victim of that because, look, being a police officer, I never got called for jury duty. I was excluded from that. But they changed the laws on that, and I went. And I used all excuses in the world to get out of it. Mm-hmm. But they picked me to be in on the jury. I learned from that. I learned from it. was a civil case that I was in, and the jury that I had, it had a combination of black and white. And unfortunately, it was a case dealing with a construction thing with a young boy that was um, the trip in the, in the gym in school. And what happened was, it was clearly the evidence was that the school was injured or they were wrong in, 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 in what they did or what happened, not preparing and taking care of the gym. We voted to, it was a split down the middle, we voted to give the young boy um, an award. Black and white, <laughs> black, Hispanic, and white. And I said, and then afterwards, you know, we we, we the first thing to come back with a decision. Judge sent us back, and I stood firm. I said, listen, I'm not going to change my mind. This guy deserves an award. Yes. We finally got an award. It was strange when, when we made the decision. Mm-hmm. The mother looked at me and she was like, "Thank you, thank you." <laughs> I knew not, I didn't say nothing to her, but she could feel that. And what happened? And that's why I'm just saying it's important mm-hmm. that we take part yes. on these yes. juries. Another thing, I'm admit, as far as I tell people, know who your legislators are. Yeah. Yes. It's important. Do you know the difference in government between senators, U.S. senators, and state senators? All right, everybody just knows what the president. You know, one of the things that I don't know, I don't know know anything about these judges. Every time these judges pop up, I would ask the lawyers and the more the council people to come forth and have forum so we understand what the judges oh, are about and what idea. they stand yeah. for. That's mm-hmm. a good idea. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's, that's the a very far the solution is concerned. Because I'm told, I, I tell you, I get in that, that voting booth and I'm like, I don't know who this is. It's like any, any, money, no. So we have to start getting ourselves. These forums That's here for are important for us to have educational forums. Yes. You know, so what to do about when to stop by the police? We've done that. Right. I know, I know, so I know you can say, well, it's like you got to pray. Yes, you got to pray. One of the things that we used to always do was the fact that we had a forum and we dealt with the adults and we dealt with the kids. All right. Like, like uh, Brother Montgomery said, less talking. Okay, and just follow the protocol. The bottom line is hands up. We tell people all the time, you know, they ask you for your name or whatever. You give that. The thing is to survive their counter, mm-hmm. get their names if they do wrong. Their it. names, you don't have to, and sometimes you don't have to go back. Officer, what's your name? What's your ship? It should be right, right here. Mm-hmm. Right. And we used to tell folks, if they don't give it to you, Mark down the time right. that yeah. you have stopped yeah. and, and where? their car has a yeah. license plate. There's yeah. four numbers on that license plate. Okay, so you can get that also. And just remember the descriptions of what happened. That's just, you know, just a little bit to add. But the most important thing is, is involvement. Um, back in the days when, when, uh, we, when, when, when we used to do, let me, another thing, you said, this new thing with the neighborhood coordinating officers. This is nothing new upon no, the sun. No. That's yeah. a smoke screen. I was a CPOP officer, yeah. community yeah. policing yeah. officer, what have you, and I was a, C, and I was a CPOP sergeant. And then, and then Giuliani came and got rid of the program. Yes. Right. All right, after he got rid of the program, now they bring it back. Right. And they talk about it's the greatest thing since life. <laughs> right. No, they have stopped it, they brought it back. Right. 
This is the fact of the matter. You have to be aware of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Be involved. And the other thing, they have community precinct council meetings. Yeah. Yes. Right? That's what we meant, right? On the 77 precinct community council? Yes. Yes. <laughs> seven, seven, they have community council meetings, all the precincts or whatever you live in, wherever you live. Be involved. Because, see, um, my, my lady always says that community council meetings are one big hug. Everybody's talking great about the commander. Oh, this cop is this, and this cop is that. Nobody's, and then when somebody speaks out, they say, oh man, that person's getting disrupted. Let's love the commander. No, we come in here for you to do certain things and be held accountable and be knowledgeable. Also, as a lawyer's here, know the law, learn the law. Just, just a little bit. You, ain't gonna, you can't be like, these men, you can be, but maybe you don't want to be, but at least you can learn a little bit of law to protect yourself. Um, as far as, because listen, everybody doesn't pay attention to the law until something happens to them yeah. or, or friends or whatever. I had a friend, something happened to his, cha- his, his son, wind up on the other side of the law, but we supported the case. He was wrong, but because we showed up Made and the difference. other family didn't, it, it took Made a little bit more in downsizing his, his sentencing and everything else. It, plays, it plays an important role for us to you understand. What you should do. I just want to. I want to be forever giving a speech, but just let you know. Get involved. Straight on, sit up. Straight on, sit up. But you threw out a lot of great points. You should should get excellent points. You should definitely get badge numbers, right? So you know, prayer is great, right? It's true, right? My mother's a prayer warrior, right? But faith without works is death, right? It's true. She lives just down the street, and I'm telling you, she prays every morning, right? So, but the truth of the matter is that you know we should get badge numbers on police vehicles you should get license plates and the precinct is also um, on the vehicle so and you should be active in community board meetings precinct council meetings and he's absolutely right you may never meet a legislator as an elected official but all of us will meet a judge at some point in our lives and you know I, I mentioned one who's here tonight but those are very important elections sadly you know money has clouded um, who a lot of them really are mm-hmm. and you know the truth of the matter is when people are running for judge they can't share with you always their positions mm-hmm. on things but when they get on the bench their rulings are just incredible yes. everything from foreclosures to uh, criminal activity yes. so uh, it sets another tone so thank you right. so much for no, hold, hold, hold on a second yeah. uh, you know one thing that people know about me they know I'm like a very serious guy and I'm going to tell you something that I've learned through practicing law for 37 years. You're not good at asking people questions. Now, I'm not a joke. When I say pray, I'm not up here being cute. Listen, Malcolm used to say people was the devil. He wasn't talking about somebody with horns. When you're in the prayer mode, where's your mind? Calm, reflection. You're thinking about that core in you. So when a person says to you, when you're in that situation, pray, what does that mean? When you said that, what do you mean by that? You take out your Quran? No. It means it's time to connect, stay focused, be calm within yourself, and understand the environment that you're in, and fall back on your greatness, because that's what gets you through. All right. Thanks for sharing that. That's okay. And, and, and real quick, as far as judges, I, I know a lot of judges, all three of us, especially Tony. Me and Tony have served, Steve, have served, we've served on judiciary committees. 
which is the committees that pick the, that pick the judges. Now, a lot of some people may think the judges are picked and that's just a show as well. Um, but the community has to organize with the information. Let me just give you an example. Imagine in this neighborhood, if you guys, everyone that's in here, went out and got your aunt, cousin, uncle, and the youth from 12 to 20 up to college age, when it's time for those elections, they are running around the neighborhood and informing you about the information that we have now because we have a database. We have a website. We have technology. You can go on and see certain judges' decisions, mm -hmm. certain judges what they did on bail applications, mm -hmm. certain judges of what party they are a part of, and you make that information known and that information known. So now when you're standing in the, you're not, it's not tic-tac-toe anymore. It's not any money mo when you're in that booth. If the community started doing that, you would see a different result and how it trickles down into that courtroom. Yes. You know. I, I want to get to these two questions, but Ken yeah. is absolutely correct. I want to share with you two quick stories. There was a judge who came to me earlier this year. She was running for re-election, and um, she sits on the Supreme Court. And um, you know, I sat support. with her. We had lunch, and um, I said, "Look, I can't support you." She was shocked. She just knew because she had shown up at all of my events that I was going to support her. She asked me why, and I said, "I'm happy you asked." I said, "There's a church in my district right now." You ruled against them. I said, you know what? I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to question your ruling. Or what I have a problem with is how they were treated. Mm -hmm. They walked into the courtroom mm -hmm. and they said from the minute they got there, she was very pro-developer mm -hmm. and she shut them down. Mm -hmm. Someone who looked at the case said to me, you know, to be honest with you, the church was wrong. I mean, the, the law is not but on their side. And I said, that's not the that's point. That's right. The point is how they were treated when they right. walked into that courtroom. And I think it's really important for all of you to know when, when you meet with judges, you should let your elected officials know or when you go into their courtrooms, if you're ever treated a certain way, they won't always give you obviously the result that's right. that, that you know you want. But, you want but they should treat you with respect. And she, you know, was trying to get to the Supreme Court, or rather she was trying to get to the Supreme Court this year. Uh, she didn't make it. And the bottom line is, um, you know, she sat at a, a function, not thinking people were listening, and talked about how impressed she was that a young black man had walked into her courtroom with a family. Wow. You know, with a family. Wow. So, you know, she, no, she's not black. But the point of, the, and, and let me just say, let me just say, I have to say this, because, um, you know, there are judges that are black and white on the bench who do very disrespectful things to people mm -hmm. on, on both sides of it. Um, and, and I think, you know, it begs the question that we've really got to do the research and really find out uh, where people stand. There was, and, and let me just say this, the final story is that the, there was someone running for judge this year, and I didn't really know much about her. I just knew, I just didn't feel her. And I called Ken. I said, tell me, you know, what's the deal? They told me the deal. <laughs> and she was very upset, you know, when we had this convention. And I wouldn't introduce her. And she was very upset with me. And she asked me why. And I said, I'm just not feeling you. It's just not that kind of. And I, you know, I knew her history. I knew where she worked. He told me everything, gave me the full rundown. And so, you know, you're right. We've got to ask the questions and we've got to be willing to do the research. So she doesn't speak to me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Neither does her husband. Okay.
It's okay. Oh, yeah, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> Good evening. I want to know when you were speaking about Judge Wright. Yes. Funny today, I gave my students an assignment and it's to research him. Yes. So I walked it on top. Wow. Yes, because I teach young, young children of color that they're labeled special needs. Mm. And I'm standing here as a mother educator and you know what? One of the questions, I hear you talk about police. Um, I'm a mother of three sons. Mm -hmm. I know what it is to be stopped. My son was stopped on his way to my father's home. And he said to the police officer, don't, I'm gonna you don't have, I have the right for you not to search me. I'm gonna raise my hand and I'm gonna turn around because this is summer. He said to him, what nigga like you know about Miranda rights? Right. Oh. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, you just said that mm -hmm. to my That's son. Right. Mm -hmm. My son said, yes, my grandfather owned a 16-family apartment building down the road. What did he do? Rob someone to get it? Mm -hmm. They put my son in the cop car and drove him around. The 77 precinct. I walked into the precinct and I asked to speak to the commanding officer. For some reason, he said, oh, my mom is so, so, so. They know me from the precinct council meeting. By the time I get it, they let my son go. I said, can I get a civilian review complaint form? Mm -hmm. right. They asked me, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> the next day I was at the meeting. I think it was on Water Street then when yeah, I didn't yeah. see. Mm -hmm. So I was stopped up recently. I was sitting in the car, going to work, getting a ride to work. I leaned over trying to give the driver some food. The cop followed us from Empire to Rockland, stop the car. I had my hoodie on because it was January. I said, officer, why you stopped me? Oh, you have drugs or you? I cannot even say what he told me. As a grown woman and educator, do you know he gave me a ticket for not having a seatbelt on? Yeah. My seatbelt was on. Yeah. Because I had a hoodie and I was bent yeah. over. Yeah, so when I raised up and he sees a woman and I, I said, I. I'm an educator, I work up the block. He said, I don't care, bling, 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 bling. Do you know he gave me a ticket and what's written on the ticket? That he gave me the ticket at the corner of Empire and Nostrum. This ticket was issued at the corner on Rockland between New York and Brooklyn. Do you know what I did? I got out the car and I took a picture of the car. Yes. So literally on my phone, I have a picture of the officer car. What should somebody else do? Because I was a per I was in my right. I'm educated, so I know how to speak to him. I call it driving, riding wife. Yeah. Yeah. What should someone do? Because it could have turned out differently, it could have been boys. really a young yeah. person. Yes. And I'm a mother. I work with young men, and they come to me all the time because they, I worked in Spafford before. I'm coming from Spafford to the classroom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm asking now, what should I tell my young men? Because they're continuously coming to me and asking questions. Okay. Be yeah. You got the question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm asking, yes, what should I do? I think you should tell them the truth. Mm -hmm. One. Yeah. I think you should seek counsel. I think you should get a lawyer. Get a lawyer. Yeah. yeah. And I think you should get people like myself and, and the other panelists and other people who are in law enforcement to come to your class and give your young students narrative about what to do and how to do it. 
And I, yeah, we all be happy to do that. I heard that you're doing a program somewhere. Yeah, we, yeah, we. And I, the thing about my school, mm -hmm. my school is all about making money. Before mm -hmm. they medicate my students, and when they finish medicating them, they go. So I would like to get your information. Yeah, I'll give you. Parents. I'll give you my information. Um, the program is free. Um, even though it's we meet formally during the week, we also during the weekend, also during the week, we run a high school mentoring program. We also work with a program called CAVI that's run by Dr. Rob Gore, who's one of the emergency room doctors in Kings County Hospital and dealing with kids who are dealing with trauma and a, a whole bunch of other issues. So I'll give you all my information. Okay. And I'm willing to volunteer. And, uh, yeah, uh, all of it. Yeah, my, my bro, all my at least one, two, uh, uh, Mally Mickens, Keith White, Philip Shung, um, Steve, we all work together and we run the program, so. Lawyers on the great retainer. You niggas holding on like incubators. Put your money up, chick, place your wage. About to do a ski, ski, your face in danger. Taste the flavor, better pay my money up or face the taser. Anybody dig it, greatest, we greater. Ride the way through skis, we the space invaders. With these flows, I'm supposed to style. Make way for the 08, post the child. You ain't better than the kid. Play me, nigga said I wasn't wavy. I'm the million dollar baby. Chilling in the car, riding with the shot. He got a hundred on the dash. I don't bail for a body, yeah. Leave you sitting, leave you sitting in the lobby. Fresh on my ass like I caught another body out. Some fucker I ain't even like Bitch try to take me down, she ain't even right Stay the state, doggy so fly, he don't need a flight Nigga, my name ring bells in my chain Bling well, bring your thing, nigga bell Slain the cane, nigga well She rappers just a hobby, put your body in the blanket Leave you have to bring your lobby up This the shit that you poppin' while you try to work This your perfect motivation for your kind of work Time to swerve, back a nigga down If you get too close, let me get you yeah. The meat outside the fox brains on the curb, let's think outside the box. Or let the spouse out sips at the bar, pinky ring, 50 stacks, outfit, match the car. Sixties, and uh, I remember the street academies. Yes, I remember the street academies. Right. I don't know exactly if they were government run or right. I, I, I my sister confused me mm -hmm. because I'm like it was popping up all over the place. Right. And um, I remember they were brothers and sisters. They came in and they spoke to the community. They they, they the street academies were like stores, like st
I don't think they have any of them no. now. And um, so, like the Black Panther Party, they, mm -hmm. they gave out information. You know, we learned things. They gave us information. They had prisoners' rights, Fortune Society, places that you could go to. The Nation of Islam had brothers that when my son got arrested and I called Rikers Island, they said he wasn't there. But I was in court. He was there. He went to court. So I got a little nervous and I went to the nation on 116th Street when it was that kind of nation on 116th Street. And the, the brother went to Rikers Island. He had he had some type of past where he could go to Rikers Island Still do. and, you know, look my son up and find my son. So at that particular time, I mean, even prisoners' rights, I would go to prisoners' rights for, well, after I did with my son, I just started with everybody that I knew that had issues, but they don't have those programs That's anymore. True. And we don't have the education in our communities because when I go places or call now for someone, mm -hmm. it's like, I feel alone. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like I'm by, and I think everyone does, and it gets depressing because we have no one to contact, no one, I mean, the people, what do you say, like the uh, people like Letitia, you know, the office you got, but I'm talking about they were grassroots, what mm -hmm. you call it, grassroots type situation. So is this what you're trying to do now, yeah. trying to establish, mm -hmm. are you trying to establish that type of communication with the community and people? I mean, in the, you know. Yes. Yeah. And I remember the street academies because they, they had them uptown. And of course, I remember the Panthers. There is a sense of alienation that we have now, a sense of being alone. But we are not alone. I mean, one of the reasons why I was so happy to come out was to do just this. Yes. So people can see people that look like them, do, that do, that's doing stuff, mm -hmm. that can share stuff. Um, we, it is designed for us to feel mm -hmm. alone. Things are different, no question about it. But people are around. Ellen, Judge Edwards is in the back. She ran against the system and won. Mm -hmm. That's... Very unusual for, for New York. Yeah. Very, very unusual. Um, but I, I, I do want to say this. There's, years ago, we had some really dynamic lawyers in, in, in New York. They were named Alton Maddox, Vernon Mason, Mujib Manan, and there's a brother from Brooklyn, from the Caribbean. His name escapes me right now. No, 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 his no, name no. will come to me. Um, and those brothers were systematically disbarred and chased away from providing that kind of legal representation that used to, we used to have in our community. And this was almost 30 years ago, and it was effective. Because everybody in this room can't say, well, is there an African-American or Latino or even a, a white lawyer in New York who's identified with standing up for our community being involved, et cetera, et cetera. There are those lawyers, they just are not out there in a public way. That doesn't help you if you need the help. Um, and so this kind of forum is a doorway, a small doorway to a big room with a lot of issues. It takes the people that remembers 
to remind us of where we are and what we're doing. What these folks would like to do is they parade people out like a song and dance man. I think the guy's name is Kanye or something. <laughs> and they, they, they parade a song and dance man out. You really serious about law enforcement reform? And you invite to the White House a singer? And not Kim Montgomery, not Steve, not an Anthony Rico, not a Judge Edwards? Well, what they do is they create a false narrative. Mm -hmm. And the false narrative is that we down to this? Mm -hmm. No, you down to that. Mm -hmm. These people don't reflect us. We have people in our community who can do things and we can feel okay about it. Sometimes I know that we feel hurt sometimes when we see other people doing stuff. Like, you know, because we've been hurt so much that it's hard for us to embrace people who are doing stuff. We, we, we have like that, that thing that they gave to us from slavery. It's very powerful. And so sometimes we're looking at people that's good at what they do, like, yeah, whatever. But we, we can overcome that. We will overcome that. We do overcome that. We just have to know about it and, and share information. It's one word, it's called wisdom. And the wisdom from those times help inform us about, about these times. And, and we make that progress for ourselves in a strong way. What it also means is that we've got to conduct this conversation yeah. on a regular basis, That's right. not in response to when things yeah. happen. And, and, and it has to be an intersection yeah. of people who are professionals, who are doing the work, people who are retired and have experience, people who come at home, recidivists. It has young, older, you know, middle age. It has to be. These are very complex problems that are going to take a bunch of different ideas and innovation. And, and we have to understand historically what's really been done to us as a people, you know, and, and this is not just, you know, we the the nationalistic fervor of blackness has been beaten out of us. Yes. Um, the Panthers were destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, other organizations similar to the Panthers were destroyed. Lawyers. Destroyed. Lawyers destroyed. Why? judges. <laughs> so, you know, right. you, we have to really be aware of that. And I think the fact that we don't educate our children from a young age to those things, it, it's a reason why they are resistant to some of the issues that we would like them to be involved with. Got to teach them. Yeah, we got we to teach them. Like we all think. That's okay. Is there a trespassing law for war in New York City? Yes. Okay. Uh, I don't know how that's enforced. Uh, Selectively. Two. Arbitrarily. Yeah. 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 Especially, especially <laughs> concerning New York City Housing Authority. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. And two, is there some amount of marijuana that's supposed to be legal? Because there's I can walk down the street in this community <laughs> certain nights <laughs> in a one block radius and there's three areas. You smell it all over the place. Right. And that's a problem for one, but one night it smelled like cracker. I don't know what crack mm. smells like, but it smelled like something mixed with marijuana. Mm -hmm. right. Now what's happening is people new to the neighborhood are saying, oh yes, it's that house. 
Well, our house is the only house that has light on it, which is proper for the law of New York. The other houses don't even have light, which is a violation. But what's happening lately, police are harassing us. Mm -hmm. They're harassing my son. And then uh, one night they accused them of smoking crack or whatever the lady said. Well, they came up to, I had just left. I had seen two guys on a stoop smoking something mm -hmm. and it smelled bad. They had just left, so they, the officers came around and approached my son, and he says, now my cigarette is a cigarette. Well, he had a ticket. <laughs> and this keeps happening, so I'm trying, what am I supposed I think you, to do? What are we supposed to do? I think you, you get that officer's information like we just talked about. Yes. I think you go and you call and you go to 40 Rector Street and you file a CCRB complaint and you make a call to Internal oh, Affairs. You call the young lady who's right there at that podium, and you you protect yourself. You know, where do you live? What neighborhood? Right here. And as far as trespass, that's historically been a problem and trap for for you know they do that um if you don't have id on you and you coming out of lg or you coming out of certain places they're gonna run you through the system because what are they hoping they're hoping you may have a warrant well, or you you know here's the deal we're not the one it's people in the neighborhood are trespassing on your my property. area. Well, now you're talking about another issue. That's and, another form. And, That's called gentrification, I think. That you're doing, <laughs> yes. All right. Well, you're saying it, but you're not saying it. You know, little the marijuana cigarettes or whatever they call them. I don't know what they call them now. Uh, and they're also leaving uh, cans of liquor, bottles and cans. But we're getting the tickets. Yeah. So something has to be done. I'm tired. Yeah. I think you got to get the, the neighborhood, the, the neighborhood people who have share your experiences. And I think right. you guys need to form a coalition and you need right. to raise some help. And I'll take the information. I've been to court many times for other things, but I mean, and I've even been in the court with kids that's got trouble. And, you know, what you were saying about, uh, yeah, well, the kids plead guilty. Yeah, because they have no representation, you know, yep. no parents know. coming to court with them. And it's sad yep. because... You know, my son went to court for something stupid. He was standing on a skateboard in front of his house. It was two officers that didn't even live near here. I think they're from Staten Island somewhere. But they gave him a ticket and they wrote up the whole ticket was written wrong. I went to court four times for stupidity. Yeah. And the last, and I kept saying, no, please not guilty. Don't That's take right. uh, six months, whatever. Tony, no, no, Tony pointed out to me years ago, not too that long ago, but the same issues that were created or well created were presented in the Ferguson report. Correct. Right. Right exist in New York. Right. Go down to 120 Skimmerhorn, all of you, when you ain't got nothing to do, <laughs> and watch that long line as it wraps around the building. Mm -hmm. And right. watch the people who are going into 120 Skimmerhorn. And for the most part, 120 Skimmerhorn is where the most Things that are are easily could not have been crime. Oh, put your seatbelt on. I got my paperwork. Don't worry. It's cool. What the 
hell are you looking for? Can a young man make money anymore? Where my jewels are like freaking on the floor? Or is it my job to make sure I'm poor? Can't my car look better than yours? Keep a cigar in between my jaws. I drink champagne to hell with cars. Never sold coke in my life, I do tours. Get that flashlight out of my face. I'm not a dog, so damn it, put away the mace. I got cash and real attorneys on the case. It's just a joke of perpetrating the ace. You got time, you wanna give me a taste. I don't smoke cigarettes, so why you looking for bass? You might plant a gun and hope I run a race. Eating in the mess hall, saying my grace. You tried to frame me, but it won't work. from you um, and I have no problem speaking with our local precinct commander and you know you should come to a local precinct council meeting I know people think it's a feel-good love fest um, and a lot of times it is but um, you speaking out at those meetings I think also puts them on notice yes okay if you see something us as a people we need to say something yes we have our cell phones recorded your son in trouble or something or somebody doing something record it we have to stand up for ourselves. We see children doing something. It might not be our children, but it's the children in our building. Get down from there, sweetheart. We have to do for ourselves also. That's right. That's Thank right. you. I love your beautiful outfit, too. <laughs> So, you know, you talk about a civically engaged woman. That's Alviata Greenwich, one yes. of our best poll workers. So, we're going to She's going to be busy in that tweet. Yeah, she's going to be busy. <laughs> Celeste. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, my name is Celeste Staten. I'm the Tenant Association President of Atlantic Terminal. Mm. My question is. What is the purpose of the Fraternal Order of Police? <laughs> okay. And um, how do you change leadership of that it. organization? I'll answer. I'll start. The purpose, in my opinion, is to instill the social hierarchy that is based on race and class. That's why I think you have police. Listen, you drive down, you go to you go to Cobble Hill. I mean, uh, Brooklyn Heights. Is it the same presence of police officers there? So we need to start having conversations of why we even need police presence in our community, but that has to be an inward, outward She's conversation. Explain. Oh, the police organization is to to protect to protect the yeah to protect to protect and promote the police officers and to protect them when there's meetings like this that turn into something where they held accountable. Um, no. It's not the union. It's right. It's not the union. Here we are. Here's our expert. The second half of the question was how do you change leadership? I just want to answer The FOP is the Fraternal Royal Police, which is for 
other other places besides New, New York. York. New York is one of the biggest police departments there is. We have like 32,000 police officers. So they have the SBA for me, which would be Sergeant Benevolence Association, mm -hmm. the LVA for some people. The D, the, 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 the detective endowment. D is the DA. Detective and the, P here, the and PBA. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, so you have that for New York City. Now the FOP would be for those smaller police departments. So they are you. They are union, and they represent them. So they have them all those small counties across the country. So that's the difference with the FOP. All right. So how how do we change leadership? I'm going to answer the question. Yes. But you come back, because you know, listen, he's in it, so he knows. But for people who are not in it, mm -hmm. you know, when I worked for Judge Wright, he gave me one word. He said, vote. Yeah. Right? It's your vote. Um, their heads of those organizations have to deal with city, for policy, contracts, and the rest. At some point, a mayor or city council people are not going to allow those unions to be represented by people who refer to us as mutts, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Head of PBA calls suspects mutts. Mm -hmm. And we will vote into office strong people who will say, we are not going to allow you to refer to citizens in this society as mutts and come in here and represent the union. Your union better get somebody else in here. And when they realize that the people that they have to negotiate with are serious, the folks that gotta pay their jobs and get their paycheck, they're gonna begin to vote in the office people who represent their interests. But it comes down to one word in this society, it's called voting. We only have 20 some odd percent of the eligible voters nationwide who vote. So there are a lot of older people in this room, people from the South. You know, some of y'all think y'all from England, but we from the South. <laughs> if we wasn't from the South, our parents were. Right? Some people from South Brooklyn, but still the South. And y'all know what these people did to prevent us from voting. Yes. They murdered, burned. Now, they were so good at terrorizing us. They were so vicious in their conduct that now we, don't, we won't vote. We don't think to vote. We don't want to vote. And to the extent that that has accomplished itself, they have won. We vote, and we vote, it determines who the police commissioner is. Yes. And the police commissioner determines who the precinct commanders are. Mm -hmm. And the precinct commanders determine who gets what beat and what programs come out. Yeah. Voting is dynamic. What did Donald Trump say when he got elected? I want to thank the black people in Florida, <laughs> Pennsylvania, y'all didn't hear it? Mm -hmm. And Michigan for doing what? Staying, staying home. home. That's and what he said. I seen it with my own eyes on television did it three times. We got to come out and vote. And we don't like to. And we've lost our way with that issue. But the older people have to help us, younger people, refine their way around the importance of voting. Because there's people in this room, their parents were not allowed to vote. And then some of us have children who say they don't vote. We got to fix that.
And, and, and yeah, that's, you know, a, that's an excellent point because um, the mayor of the city of New York sets the tone for policing. Mm-hmm. And it's evidenced by who they hire as their police commissioners. Right. And he's right. The police commissioner obviously sets the vision and, and puts into work what the mayor requests of him or her. And they select the prison commanders. And then the ball goes rolling from there. But let me tell you some other positions that are important. City council members are important. Yeah. There are, there's at least one council member, in this case it's Donovan Richards from Queens, who heads up the public safety committee. That's the committee, and he's, you know, it's very interesting to watch his dynamic. That's the committee that, you know, on a regular basis they have hearings and they can hold oversight over police practices and everything that happens with the department. And the city council has oversight over the police department. Attorney General's office, very important position. Governor Cuomo a couple of years ago gave the attorney general oversight over police mm-hmm. shootings. Yeah, shooting. yep. Now, you know, Eric Schneidman um, mm. had it. I don't know, I think he was extremely shocked when um, I think in the case of, I want to say a Kai Gurley, um, and the recent case that happened in, the, East, in New York, East New York, I think both of those police officers got off. Yeah, they did. His, his office prosecuted them. Yeah. Well, we now have a, a new attorney. We will have a new attorney general in a few weeks. Yes. About two weeks. Uh, Tish James, mm-hmm. and so that's a very yes. That's a very, yes. And you know, you know, this is public information. You know, Tish is a friend. We go to the same church, live down the street, but she understands mm-hmm. what she's about to walk into. Yeah. Um, very important role for the attorney general. Let me tell you about your state legislators. They're the ones who decide on this residency stuff for police officers. So for a long time, people were saying we need better training, right, for for officers, and people were also saying. They got to come from the city of New York. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, you know, if I'm going to treat somebody bad, I don't need to necessarily come from Long Island to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can live right here in certain parts of New York City. And I recognize what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You're more sensitive when you live in more diverse communities. But even in New York City, there are communities that are very separate and apart. But it's the state legislators who determine that. And for a long time, even going back to the days of Al Van, when he was in the assembly, he always proposed a bill and others that said that Police officers should live in the city of New York. And then we get to the Senate, and guess what? You would die right yeah. there. So voting is important, but it's also right voter engagement, voter participation, but it's also accountability. Mm-hmm. You can't just vote these people into office. You've also got to hold them accountable. And, 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 and I, I want to... Final um, comments. No, I want, I want to back uh, in that with... Tony and, and um, what Ola just said, is di- voting, voting is dynamic and Stokely Carmichael talks about the, the power of voting. Um, and you can go back and, and listen to some of these speeches because you got to understand this stuff and these problems, they've been here for a while and they've been solutions and they've been built upon. But what we have to really do, and this is not an overnight thing, this is a long game thing, mm-hmm. is that you have to build social familial community institutions that create the leaders that you want to see in position. Because if you're just voting with the, the choices that you that are there all every every election cycle, um, you think you have a choice because it's this binary thing. But those choices have been given to you. But now if you have a community that is educating and controlling this ecosystem and you are producing these courageous legislators and council people and lawyers then you're doing something else when you start talking about change tony just said it's interesting that the judge who was here tonight is the judge that ran against the system yeah 
and I know her personally for years because she was a de- she was a defense attorney. Uh-huh. With, was it with you guys? Yeah, no, yeah. no, she was. Uh, I think she was a uh, um, other judges. Yeah, she was in criminal court all the time as a defense attorney. Um, one of the things I wanted to continue that, that Mr. Rico had said is about fear. <coughs> I think that there's there's another kind of fear that we need to be aware of, and it's the way that the media portrays crime. It, it's it's wonderful that we're all here and we're talking about trying to have a more just society. But the counter narrative to that is these criminals are dangerous. These criminals are dangerous. These criminals are dangerous. And that's a very short mantra that gets repeated. And it's very hard to answer with an equally short um, response. And when you see the way that that plays out on a day to day basis with with, against judges like Judge Edwards, who, who try to do the right thing, and then there's a, a story about something that's, that's taken out of context and not fair. Um, they have a lot of pressure on them, and we have to be aware of that and try to find a way to confront it. Because uh, the police and, and, and the, the agencies that we're talking about are very active in using mm-hmm. these, um, these media outlets to support the narrative that they want to be followed, and we have to find a way to address it. But even that's political. Because if you notice during certain elections, particularly on the national level and even sometimes state, when candidates want to win and when they want to alarm the electorate, they use the word crime. Mm -hmm. There's another word, there's another term that they use when they want to make you think that things are safe, and that's the word public safety. Mm-hmm. So even that's political, right? and, and, and it's, that's right. it's what you know. There's a guy, and you heard of Lee. Anyone here heard of Lee Atwater? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lee Atwater was the the guru for the GOP party, and there's a tape. And if you don't believe me, you can go home and you can Google, Google it. You can YouTube it. There's a tape of him saying, "What are those buzz? You know, nigger is out of style. Can't say nigger anymore." Um, so it's these dog whistling words that activate certain communities and you have to be aware of that and, and, and you have to respond to that and we can't just sit and let these things occur, but you know, that they, they're there and it's more than, it's, it's political, it's, it's social, um, behavior is certain, it's a lot of things all mixed into one. So finally, you know, I also want to say, you know, you talked about change and obviously voting is a part of that. Obviously, when we have encounters, we've got to, you know, write down license plate numbers and get the necessary information. You've got to be in a state of mind of prayer. I got it. (laughs) Meaning, uh, you know, obviously, if it's a tough encounter, you have a a certain state of mind to deal with it. But, you know, change is also, and I have to tell you, you know, these brothers and sisters who uh, and I mean that men and women who decide to enter the field of law enforcement really at, with the desire of making a change. And I think the most wonderful thing about 100 Blacks in law enforcement, they weren't fighting the system when they were retired. They were fighting it as active men and women in the department. I think True. they really deserve a round of applause. Oh, no question. You know, it is so easy to criticize a system when you're outside of it. In fact, if you understand the last parts of Eric Adams' life in the police department, then you know that he was almost denied a promotion <laughs> from one of the commissioners because he was so vocal um, in, in, in responding to what was happening to officers. Um, 
But it also means that obviously more women will have to join that, more, yes. more men, with the mindset of making change. change. And it's tough. There's an officer right now, you probably read about him. Uh, he's a friend uh, officer of ours. Officer Raymond. Yeah, Raymond. Um, you know, and the NYPD 12, you probably mm -hmm. heard about them, who challenged the system because of quotas. Um, but what it also means is you're, not, you're just not fighting for yourself, but you're fighting for generations mm -hmm. ahead of you. So, and then finally, I want to do something real special. You know, there's a young man who's here. I want you to stand up and tell us your name, because I really, we, he really deserves a round of applause. Yeah. So, give it up for Keith Myers. I go to a lot of events with kids, you know, and I was a kid once, and he was alert the whole time. He didn't sleep, he didn't blink, no, he didn't blink. But listen, we're proud of you. Thank you for coming out tonight. Really appreciate you. That's dope. And wishing me the best. Question. Yes. Just, just the number. You, you and keep up the good work. Our website. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see if we could go together information. Yeah, I think you were talking about like. Or something oh no, I said we should create one. Yeah. Oh, okay. But they have. But you can. They they, have. You, yeah, they're out there. Well, they're it's usually like, blogs and stuff like blogs. that. Judicial. Yeah. What, what do they call it? Judicial. Yeah. What's the one? Um, you can, yeah, robing room. Robing room. Robing room. Yes, robing room is for the judges. You can go to robing room. Robing, like the judges' room. You get people. You get lawyers, anonymous lawyers, giving their their experiences with that particular judge. Okay, this is the last question for the night. Oh, Joe. From Joe, the most active member of the community. Yes, attend panelists and thank everyone who's here. All over the United States, at the local level. Police officials are in fact elected. County sheriffs everywhere in New York and in many cities around the country, the city police chief is likewise elected. Some of us believe that it might be time to move the NYPD police commissioner to an elected post so that that person is then accountable directly to us, the voters, as opposed to being accountable to who the mayor is. Can any members of the panel sort of amplifying that. That's um, the last question for the night. Thank you. It's a good question. Yeah. The last uh, question. I, 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 think, I think that would be a desirable path. I, I think that's a great question. But I'm, I'm going to take a step back. I'm like an old school guy. Our problem is racism, whether they appointed or elected. <laughs> and so, okay, if we going to come out and vote, then let's vote for the police commissioner. Yeah. But if we going to stay home, and let other people pick the police commissioner, the same people are gonna get it. Uh -huh. yeah. So I think it's a great idea. It's a, it, you know, it shakes things up. But we're, we're dealing with an issue in the 21st century that's been here since we were brought in and changed. It's called racism. We gotta hold these people accountable. And we do that if, because we have elected judges and we have appointed judges, but they all come from voting. Because the appointed judges are appointed by the people we vote for. And we gotta let, maybe we do wanna change it to a voting process. But in the meantime, we have to let these people know, you're not picking these people to be police commissioner, or you're not gonna get our vote. And we have to come out and vote. But I like innovative ideas, because it's from ideas that we get solution. In the absence of ideas, we get status quo, and the kind of buffoonery that took place at the White House with the dude with the hat on and just <laughs> kissing the dude and all the rest of that is stupidness. Do you want to comment on it? 
No, I, I just I, I agree. With, I, I'm glad that we took part in this. Um, you am. you really need to understand for what we do on a daily basis, which is Steve, uh, Steve presents it perfectly. We're literally in between um, immense power and the oppressed every day, every single day, uh, and on levels that we can't even explain to you. So the perspective of of hearing what people who are living just like us are going through, it matters and, and, and it's very helpful and it helps us to innovate something that is, is, is dynamic, which is this issue called race and politics and law and what the definition of what this country is. You know, we, we, like to, we like to think that this country was built on these great principles and ideas, but this country was pretty much became powerful over some pretty heinous bad things. And now we're all dumbfounded on why it's just not working out. And it, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. But I, I really enjoyed speaking to you guys. I would say in terms of the direct election, I, I think it's more about what, a, what is our collective sense of, of justice, whether it's through directly electing a commissioner or not. And I, I think that as much as we've seen changes in popular opinion about mass incarceration and things like that, this system is made up of, of individual people. And it's been very slow that you see this change in, in terms of thought on criminal justice affect the individual cases. That's right. You know, there's, two, you know, like I said, 2.2 million people and in prison. Those were all individual cases with, with judges. And, and I don't see this change in thought that we're all here hoping to see happen faster accomplished on an individual case within the system as fast as we'd like. So I think we just need to have this sense of a collective sense of, of what we consider right to, to really happen fast, whether that's directly as a vote or not, I don't know if it's gonna make a difference. So final comment is this, um, you know, Joe, you asked a great question and that's whether or not we should elect the police commissioner. And I, I have to tell you, um, I think there are problems on both sides. Mm -hmm. I think Obviously, mayors appoint who they're comfortable with and who will execute their vision of public safety as it relates to crime. But I think electing a police commissioner opens up another set of problems, and that is the undue influence of money in the political mm -hmm. arena. Which is already a problem. And, and the fact of the matter is, and, and the police force, that you know, there's a great book out called Dark Money. Thank it really you. shows you. you how these political action committees, they raise lots and lots of money to run candidates all over the country to execute their agendas. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, we really have to sort of be careful. And I recognize, you know, what you're saying, but I think we have to be careful when we start talking about running someone for police commissioner. Um, because then, you know, I didn't even know this. Very interestingly, when the New York State Assembly was looking at the Office of Attorney General and at one point was going to make an interim appointment, there were assembly people who thought that the Attorney General had to be an attorney. Nowhere no, in the no, job description does no, it say no. that. And the point that I'm trying to make is that if we want to look at police commissioner, we're opening up it up and what are the qualifications and what are the minimum amount of years someone should or shouldn't serve in law enforcement? I don't know. But we're opening it up to another dynamic. And I also think in the city of New York, I think there's a reason there's an appointment. This is just my opinion. And that is because New York City in particular uh, is heavy labor. And I think there is a perception that it should be someone who came up through the ranks. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the pattern, that's usually how it's been. Finally, we've had black and white commissioners here in the city of yep. New York. And the same stuff same has happened, happened on both sides. 
So I think that's something that we need to look at. But listen, thank you so much. I think it was a great conversation. Thank you, panelists, Steve Lynch, Ken Montgomery, and Aaron. Get their information, be active, vote. And thank you so much for coming out tonight. Where they going? Where they going? Where they going? Where they going?